millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Ireland's housing crisis, we have a special report on why younger buyers are finding themselves locked out of the market by international investment funds. We have to level the playing pitch for first-time buyers. I'm, I don't support investment funds buying up whole or large parts of housing estates that should be for first-time buyers. Despite those promises of action, pressure grows in the coalition over the issue. We'll have live debate and analysis with Finney Gales, Emer Higgins and Labour's Ivana Bacic. And another rise in tensions between Dublin and London over a promised amnesty for army veterans of the Troubles. Do get in touch on Twitter or hashtag tonight VMTV. tonight. The housing crisis exploded back onto the social and political agenda this week as the government promised to move to stop international investment funds buying up residential property here. It follows a controversy over a housing state in the heart of the commuter belt in Maynooth, County Kildare. Our economics correspondent Paul Colgan has been there to explore the big issues in this special report. So this is the development that has caused all the trouble. Mullen Park in Maynooth. Local home buyers had been eyeing up the large family homes here, but foreign capital has swooped instead. Round Hill intends on renting them out, not selling them. The investment fund, which has a war chest of 1 billion euros, has robbed first-time buyers of the opportunity to buy their own home. The purchase by institutional investors of completed housing estates is unacceptable and not consistent with government policy. Some people refer to them as cuckoo funds. The political storm around this practice, where large investors can pick off new developments, has forced the government's hand. But for people like Cahill, who was getting ready to buy in Maynooth, the wait will go on. This was the perfect location, the perfect estate, and like within budget and just gone. We've been in a few rental properties, like some properties that were like definitely considerably smaller than a full house and paying more than what I'd probably be paying for the mortgage. Like the hope is that at least something might be put in place before the next development that is within budget and what we need. Like hopefully we will have a chance at another house without it being ripped away like that. It is cheaper to mortgage a house in this sort of development than it is to rent a much smaller one in Maynooth right now. You go onto a website like daft.ie and you see that there's only seven houses available to rent at the minute. So we're looking at a, a two bed just down the road. It's renting for close to 2,000 euro a month. 
not far away, a three bed close to 2,200 euro a month. And then you try to figure out what it would cost a first time buyer to take out a mortgage on a four bed here at Mullen Park. If you go onto any mortgage calculator, you'll find you'll be paying well under 2,000 euro in some instances. In one case, they'll be paying less than 1,800 euro a month. So that is the difference. A much bigger house, much cheaper to live in, but people are locked out and they have a rental market, which is tiny. Probably in a development like this, the rents are going to be outside of the realms of a lot of people. They just couldn't afford it. So a mortgage is much more interesting and much more viable for a couple or an individual. So a lot of people are feeling anger because they're saying, is this going to be the way it is? Is it going to continue like this for me into the future? Roundhill is not able to say what it will rent the homes out for, but market observers expect it to be well in excess of the average mortgage repayment. Foreign property investors are nothing new. For years, they have been availing of tax incentives to build and purchase commercial property in locations such as the Dublin Docklands. But it is the move towards the classic semi-D type property, which is the shift. Certainly, historically, they held none of the housing stock. So this is, is relatively new in the last uh, few years. If this pace of purchase uh, by these funds keeps up, before, before long, we're going to see a situation where they actually hold a very significant amount of, of houses and apartments in Ireland and so now is the time to, to stop this in its tracks until we're you know to ensure that we're not locked into a system where people are you know forever paying these kind of high rents to these international investors rather than being able to purchase a home. But these type of investors will have to play some role say housing experts if Ireland is to boost its overall supply of homes. According to Ronan Lyons a rash reaction now could risk driving them away. Even the term cuckoo funds is unhelpful because what these are in other countries are institutional landlords. That's what they're known as. That's what we should call them. Um, and we need professional organisations to run, professionally run rental accommodation. And if, if we start chasing out the very organisations that would be building the rental homes we need, it's hard to see the housing crisis getting any better. In fact, it's going to get much worse. Undoubtedly, there's a need for a mix when it comes to housing supply. The debate is about the correct mixture. The so-called cuckoos have come in for scrutiny this week, but the bigger picture remains unchanged. Ireland still lags way behind when it comes to building the amount of homes that are needed. And our thanks to Paul Colgan for that report. Let's analyse some of the issues at the heart of our housing crisis. I'm joined here in studio by Labour Senator Ivana Batchik and Fine Gael TD Emer Higgins and on Skype by Professor Rory Hearn from Maynooth University. You're all very welcome to the programme. Emer, I'm going to start with you. Um, obviously, we all heard about this story at the weekend and there was a big you know, splash in the Sunday Business Post and now the issue about investment funds is front and centre and there's a real sense of urgency in the government that this must be tackled. Why did it take something like what happened in Maynooth and the coverage in the newspapers for this to be on the political agenda? I think it's because it's an issue now. So up until now, we haven't really had a situation where these investment funds were bulk buying or buying up first-time buyer houses. At the moment, they uh, own less than 1% of our housing market in Ireland. So it, it's now that it's become an issue. And I suppose it's because people are profiteering off the rental market and the rental crisis. And I don't think that's right. And that's not what this mechanism was ever 
never established to do. It was established to encourage these funds to come into Ireland and to invest in the building, the building of apartment blocks, for example, so as that we could increase supply. Um, Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty was in the dial today and he said, I have been talking about this for years. I have been bringing this up for years. In fact, Fianna Fáil themselves, Star O'Brien, when they were in opposition, tried to bring forward a bill to limit the ability of these investment funds to buy up big housing estates. So to say it's only an issue now is incorrect. Well, the statistics show that. I mean, 5% of our tenants are with institutional landlords. So it hasn't been a significant issue in our rental market. It hasn't been something that's dominated our housing market. We need to make sure it doesn't become that. That's why we need to act. And that's exactly what Minister O'Brien and Minister Donoghue have promised to do. But there was figures released today which said that these funds um, invested 400 million in Ireland in 2017. That had gone up to 2.4 billion in Ireland in 2019. And you're saying well, nobody in government thought we better take a look at this, no, see this investment we need firm those funds. Um, but we know, need, taking advantage of these tax breaks. But we need those funds. We need that investment. We need it to be able to stimulate supply. Because that's, I mean, that was the end, end response there to the, to the documentary film we've just watched from your correspondent. It's about supply, not meeting demand. And we need international money to be invested in this country to increase supply. That's what's required. What isn't but this required... this isn't increasing supply, is You're it? right. What, what happened in Maynooth isn't what we need. And that's not what this was ever set up to, to do. And that's why we now need to act. Ivana, do you accept this, that the government weren't aware of this being a problem because it hasn't been a problem until now? No, I don't accept that. I do think that this has been an increasing problem in the last five years in particular. Now, clearly there is an enormous outcry about the issues in Maynooth and Angela Feeney, our Labour councillor there, has expressed it so well. People being priced out of a rental market and unable to buy because you see this institutional investor snapping up uh, so many of the houses in that uh, in that development. And it is extraordinary that Fianna Fáil in opposition put forward a bill that indeed Rebecca Moynihan, my colleague in the Shannon, has said she will reintroduce a bill that would have ring-fenced 30% of new developments for first-time buyers that would have at least uh, done something to allay the effects of these institutional investment funds. But the reality is the government haven't moved despite the fact that it has been an increasing problem. In my own area, uh, South Inner City and Dublin Bay South, we see uh, a large number of complexes that are all buy-to-rent. They're all bill they're all simply available only to rent. I walk past a complex where you see the, 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 how the apartments, beautiful apartments, all fully furnished, all empty, still with the plastic wrapping on the mattresses that you see in the windows of, the, of these beautiful bedrooms. People, again, being priced out. And the reality is rents going up in Dublin and indeed all across the country as a result of the institutional investors crowding and dominating the market. No uh, sustainable communities being built then and families being priced out. And this isn't just about the family homes and the semi-Ds that we saw in Maynooth. This is about the, the lack of any sustainable communities in Dublin city centre as well, where you see these apartments that are not available to people to purchase and property prices going right up as a result, as well as rents. So it's go. a lose-lose. And what we need to see is government investment in supply. We in Labour put forward a plan, build 80,000 houses over the for over five years, we've seen five okay, years. Okay, but we're just we're going to stick to the issue yet. of investment funds. Emer, there's uh, Vanabachik saying actually this has been flagged to the government in the past, and the Fianna Fáil bill identifying that this was an issue a number of years ago that never went anywhere is proof of the Putin that this should have been on the government's radar before now. And that is a bill that the department officials are working through at the moment to see exactly what we can but do. That's on no this. use to Cahill Hayes in that report, who's now missed out on the opportunity of buying his home. No, you're absolutely right, and I suppose one of the really interesting things 
things that Cahill said was that if he was to get that home, he would be paying less in his mortgage than if he was paying rent. And that's but what... why it's such a real pity, I suppose, that oh, he didn't get an opportunity to buy this. Absolutely. And your heart would break for, for anybody in that situation, 100%. But that is what the Affordable Housing Bill that was approved by Cabinet this week sets out to achieve. It sets out to give somebody like Cahill and, and all of the young people in his shoes the opportunity to own their own affordable home. Um, Dara O'Brien said today the Labour Party can't get away scot-free here. The Labour Party were actually in government when these funds were brought in in the first place. Well, I think as we all know, and indeed as Rory Hearn has pointed out in an article, when the original instrument was brought in, we were in a very, very different place in the teeth of the recession. When Labour left government in 2016, we had an economic boom and we've seen a wasted five years since when what, what should have been part of the package of recovery should have been set aside and replaced with a scheme of house building, a scheme of, uh, of, of security of tenure and uh, rent uh, security for tenants. And we should have seen then so a, the an ambitious right programme. To support these investment funds at, when well, they were Michael, in government, in fact, but it, it was, should have been closed well, in down. In fact, it was Michael Noonan who introduced them. And he introduced them, as I say, when we were absolutely you know, in a very, very different place economically, in the teeth of a terrible recession. And they were part of a way to try and re-stimulate construction. At a time when rents were low, at a time when houses, when there wasn't such an issue about affordability, the issue was people had no jobs and we were, you know, bankrupt as a country. By 2016, a very different place. Labour put in, before we left office, plans to deliver ambitious uh, schemes for building of affordable homes okay. by the state. Unfortunately, the last five years, we've seen the government captured by investment and squandering the boom, not spending on the where we need to see spending, which is you on delivering houses on public land. Mentioned a uh, doctor, um, Rory Heron. He's actually on Skype uh, and is joining us this evening. Uh, doctor Heron, do you agree that these investment funds did have a place in the market in Ireland at one point, and in fact, perhaps still do have a place when it comes to trying to increase supply of new houses or new apartments in the Irish housing market? Well, I think it's, it's really important to look at this from what has been happening over the last decade in terms of, because I make the argument that essentially the uh, introduction of these investment funds back, we go back to the real estate investment uh, trust tax break that was introduced in 2012, even the setting up of NAMA and how it sold off much of its, its land and property to these funds was really about to try and reinflate the property market, which was about saving the bank's balance sheets. And the issues about, you know, who was going to own houses in Ireland, about the impacts on rents and house prices weren't considered. And I kind of framed this as generation rent being thrown to the vulture funds and investors. And while, you know, th these forms of investors, it's very important to, to, to highlight this, that globally, what they're trying to do is to maximize their profits from housing. And this is the fundamental problem, that we've opened up our country, we've given these tax breaks to bring them in, um, and now they own, and while Emer is saying that it, it's not significant, it actually is very significant. Um, they own in some parts of Dublin almost 20% of private rental properties, and they bought almost every single apartment that was built in the country in 2019. These are amassing significant numbers. We have now IRES REIT, which is Ireland's largest landlord, owns 4,000 properties. But, um, they have the ability to start setting market rents. And, and I think the, the point being that they have reached a point where now they are locking people out. And I think 
that we need to say enough. These investors should not be allowed to take any more of people's homes. But it's time what, to take away their tax break. Sorry. Sorry, what about what Ronan Lyons was saying today? Look, we do need these investment funds, these professional bodies who can come in, who can invest, who can build apartments, who can run them in a professional way, rent them to people who do want to rent, uh, perhaps in this city or somewhere else in the country. And we can't throw, as Leo Radker said today, you know, the baby out with the bathwater just because we don't like one element of what it is investment funds do. We shouldn't just dismiss them altogether. What do you say to that? Well, what I say to that is what we don't need is apartments and houses that people can't afford to buy or that people can't afford to rent in this country. So if that's the type of supply that they're providing, which is what it is, we don't need that. That is going to lock people into permanent, unaffordable rents. And what's happening, the other big issue is not talked about here, is that these investment funds, when they come in, they also buy up land. So they're pushing up land prices as well. And if they weren't coming in, that land would be available to build housing more cheaper on. And also a big significant issue is that the government here now, the government needs to take responsibility and accept they have put these investor funds as central to their housing policy. They have um, basically hitched their wagon to them. And what they haven't done is they haven't done things like protect tenants from eviction. They haven't built any affordable housing themselves. And in part, that has been because they want to make it an attractive market for these investors. And it is time that we actually say our housing system should be about providing affordable, secure homes for people. And that means these investors should not be allowed to buy up these homes to this extent. And we also need the government to build affordable housing. So what exactly is the solution then? For you in terms of I stopping these investment uh, firms coming in? Right now, yes, we need to get rid of the real estate investment tax break. They should be paying proper taxation. We also need to implement, I think, a vacant homes tax. We need to also put in situation where they, they I would agree, think significantly more than 30%, it should be up to 70% of developments should be ring fenced for people who want to buy a home. There's too many of them here already. We need to stop this. Um, and then I think as well, we need to put a right to housing in our constitution. And why that's okay. important is because we're seeing potentially the uh, measures being blocked by the constitution. And therefore, it shows that we need a reshaping of our housing system around the right to housing, ensure everybody has a home. Because these investors are not about providing affordable housing. They're not about providing okay. people a secure, quality, affordable home. They're about maximising profits. OK, let me just put some of those points back to Emer. Uh, Rory's saying investors here are central to Fine Gael and this government's housing policy. Listen, what's central to our housing policy is delivering houses. I don't mind who builds those houses or who funds those houses as long as people can buy them at the end of it. And that's my issue with what happened in Maynooth. It's not right that investment companies are coming in and purchasing three and four bed family homes. That's not right and we need to stop that happening. But we need to do it in a way that still enables them to invest in our housing market, in a way that still enables their funding to build the apartment blocks And what that is we that need. way then? What is that solution? Well, that's exactly what the Minister has committed to finding out. He's literally sitting with his department officials, looking at the bill, the 30% bill, looking at different options. And we expect to hear that in the next couple of days or weeks. Are we hear Rory Aaron saying 30% isn't enough. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly an interesting an interesting proposition, but we have to start somewhere. I suppose we also heard him talk about the right to constitu the constitutional right to a home. That is something this government has committed to. He's also spoken about affordable housing. That is something this government is committed to. And that's the bill that we launched this week with four different, four different strands 
of affordable housing. But listening to Pascal Donoghue today, it was very clear that you know, the idea of closing down those tax breaks, which Rory Heron talked about there, is not something that can be done overnight, certainly not something that can be done in the near future by the sides of things. Well, I believe it needs to be. I believe a solution needs to be found. And I do believe that both ministers are committed to doing that, Minister O'Brien and Minister Donoghue. Well, I listened to Minister Donoghue today and he made it very clear that this is not something that can be introduced quickly. And when you listen to somebody like Cahill Hayes, he's saying, look, at, there is more building, there's further development in Maynooth coming on track and I am going to be priced out again unless something's done as a matter of urgency. Well, this is where the planning code can be looked at too and where Minister O'Brien and the 30% bill can be re-looked at, can be checked to see exactly what in that can be put to use to, to stop this from happening. And why are Fine Gael happy to adopt that bill now when they weren't, when Fine Gael were in opposition? So at the moment what's happening is the Minister is tasked his officials to go through the bill and see what in it can be done in a quick way, what in it can be done in a practical way. And I really hope that we can get that solution in the coming days. Ivana. I think the problem is what people want to see is just more houses available. Houses and apartments to fit their needs that are affordable, that are there. And instead of that, what we've seen is unfortunately a missed opportunity over the past five years where Fine Gael, with the support of Fianna Fáil, simply didn't deliver the housing. So the reality is that the current situation is dysfunctional. There is an over-reliance and a dominance of the big institutional investment funds that are simply not delivering affordable housing. What we need to do is go back to a situation where the state is delivering the housing on Just public Just to be clear, land. does the Labour Party believe that these investment firms have any role we in housing uh, supply in Ireland? No, we want to. See, what we want to no, see no. is the no, no. What we want to see is the investment funds being uh, being targeted. For example, my colleague Jed Nash today talking about putting stamp duty, increasing stamp duty for investment funds, so that you place you place uh, um, pro proper restrictions on their ability so you to dominate the market. What we don't want to see is what we was the, is a continuation of the current situation where they dominate the market, where there is an entire over reliance upon them to deliver housing. They haven't done so. They have haven't delivered affordable housing and we need to move away from that model and we need to move away swiftly. I recognise, I know that everyone says constitutional issues and Rory Hearn's quite right. That's why we need to have a referendum and insert a right to housing into the constitution, a right to a home. And I think that would certainly clear a path for making, for creating higher restrictions and ensuring Do you see them. any legal difficulties um, here introducing this bill that would restrict the purchase um, of, or protect sort of the number of houses that first-time buyers No, I think can that purchase. can be done. And, uh, you know, and I, uh, we said indeed when Darrow O'Brien first introduced it in 2019 that it should be more than 30%, but that 30% is a start. And Rebecca Moynihan has said that again. And indeed, we've committed to introducing it this week if the minister doesn't. So we're hoping that his review won't take too long and that we'll see it brought in. No, I think that's doable. And certainly, you know, in Labour were able to introduce a rent freeze, for example. We were able to uh, start an affordable housing programme. So there are so perhaps the legal obstacles are sometimes overstated to creating uh, more restrictions and ensuring that the market okay. is less dysfunctional, ensuring that people can afford, people like Cahill Hayes can afford to buy homes or indeed can afford rents. For hey, I'll just let you come in there before we wrap it here. I suppose I'm just wondering, is the Labour Party in a position to support the affordable housing bill? Exactly we have made we clear our about. position that we have, we'll support some aspects of it, but we're very disappointed with others, particularly the shared equity point. And indeed, it wasn't just Labour. All the opposition parties made the point that the, the government had moved on this bill right. without consulting opposition with the committee. Being opposition being opposition. No, no, no. And with, no, no there was a process first. in place. Absolutely, we need to put homes first. But for five years, we've seen a failure by the government to deliver. Fine Gael in government, propped up by Fianna Fáil, All simply right. failing to deliver housing.
interesting. We're going to have to leave it there, but my thanks to Rory Heron and Ivana Bacic. Emer Higgins is staying with us. And coming up, a COVID election Super Thursday in England, Scotland and Wales. We'll be talking to Sky's Enda Brady and political pressure at home with housing back on the agenda, as you can see, and a by-election looming. Stay with us. Welcome back. We're joined from the UK by Sky News correspondent Enda Brady. Enda, Boris Johnson's government <laughs> causing tensions here again with speculation about an amnesty for veterans of the Troubles and others, of course. Have we been able to establish at this point exactly what it is that the British government intend to do? So they haven't confirmed anything. But it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the Queen's speech next week, which basically is the monarch setting out, and she'll do it remotely, obviously, because of COVID, everything that the UK government wants to achieve in the next parliamentary session. Some of it has been leaked to a couple of prominent conservative-leaning newspapers. And what they're looking at, basically, according to these reports, is having a statute of limitations. So they would effectively say that anything that happened pre-Good Friday Agreement, pre-1998, could not be prosecuted. And in its place, they would bring in something along the lines of what we saw in South Africa, a truth and reconciliation type commission. So that's what the newspapers have been briefed. We will probably see all of this in the Queen's speech at some point next week. Uh, what has the media and the political reaction been to this today in Britain? Well, I think the political reaction is interesting, obviously, depending on which side of the divide, so to speak, that you sit uh, in Northern Ireland. Obviously, we've seen reaction from uh, the nationalist parties who are extremely angry about this and say that it is shameful. But over here, I think when you speak to people in the street, when you speak to people in Westminster, the view is that for too long, the feeling from the British perspective has been that people who committed terrorist atrocities have been able to escape pros prosecution and British soldiers who are accused of committing crimes during the Troubles have been wrongly gone after. 
uh, by the law. So the feeling here is that it's one of balancing up, if you like. And I think people were sort of taken aback by it here, and yet we shouldn't be completely surprised, should we? I mean, I mean the Conservative Party and Brandon Lewis, they hinted strongly at this last year, didn't they? That they weren't happy with sort of the Stormont Agreement and this idea that there may be future prosecutions. Yeah, they did. So nobody should be in any way surprised that this is likely to be put into legislation next week here. Brandon Lewis, of course, was in Dublin on Wednesday night meeting Simon Coveney. We don't know what was discussed in that meeting, but you would imagine that Mr Coveney would have asked that question. So all eyes on the Queen's speech next week, but certainly the papers here and, you know, it's the Telegraph and the Times. Boris Johnson used to write a column for the Telegraph. He's extremely well connected there still. I'd be amazed if they've got this wrong. And of course, the timing of all of this is interesting. It wouldn't be like Boris Johnson to pull a bit of a stroke, would it? And uh, there is, of course, the uh, elections in uh, Britain and very significant elections potentially in Scotland. Yeah, so today was a huge day, really. So Britain went to the polls, the most significant test of leadership, really, uh, since the general election. So there's a lot going on here today. Mayoral elections in London, uh, then up in Scotland, parliamentary elections. Every single seat in Holyrood is up for grabs and the council elections across England. So there's, there's lots going on. There's even a by-election uh, to elect a new MP in Hartlepool in the northeast of England. All the indications are that Boris Johnson is getting a, a vaccine bounce, if you like, and that in Hartlepool, he may well take that seat. It has never been Conservative. That constituency was created in the early 70s. It has never been Conservative. It has been Labour through and through. Uh, the feeling is Hartlepool will turn blue and go Conservative. So Boris Johnson would be very pleased with that. What he won't be pleased about is Scotland. If Nicola Sturgeon's SNP push ahead and really dominate in Scotland, she will feel that that gives her a mandate to then say to Boris Johnson, look, the people of Scotland have spoken. They've overwhelmingly backed me and the SNP, and we want another independence referendum. So he's juggling a lot at the moment. Hartlepool, I think, will probably come in about 5 a.m. We'll get the result of that. All likelihood, it will be a big bounce for, for Boris Johnson. But his problem is Scotland. Oh, interesting times ahead. Andrew Brady, thanks for your time. Thanks, Kira. And we're joined now here in studio by the Irish Daily Mail political correspondent Craig Hughes and Emer Higgins of Fine Gael is still here with us. Um, to start with you, Craig, I mean, relations, I think, between East and West haven't been great over the last couple of years. What impact does this have on those relationships? Yeah, I mean, it's quite significant. And I think if we look at um, what Leo Radker said today, you know, he was asked about the relationship and he, he kind of st stuttered, first of all, and it was quite a, a very strong indication that relations are quite poor. And the fact that the Irish government didn't have sight of this um, in, in advance as well gives you a sense of how poor the relationship is at the moment between the two sides. Yeah, he described the relationship as rocky. And it's interesting mm. because we had Simon Coveney uh, on the programme last night following that uh, meeting that he had with Brandon Lewis, the Northern Irish Secretary, and he said, you know, relationships were cordial and they were focused and trying to improve things in Northern Ireland and deal with the protocol. But it appears that Brandon Lewis did not give them the heads up at yeah, that point. I think the Irish government is in a very uh, tricky situation at the moment. I mean, we've had difficulties as well in terms of North South relationships there, in terms of, you know, some ministers not turning up for, for meetings. So the Irish government has been placed in a very challenging situation. And if we're dealing with a sensitive issue like this has been raised here, 
volunteer for the Irish government not to be given the heads up makes that much more challenging for them. What was very interesting today, I have to say, was in a weird way, the Alliance, the SLP, Unionist Republicans, they were all united in the fact that they were opposed to this amnesty, albeit for different reasons. Where do they go from here? Absolutely. I mean, that's the feeling on the ground in the North and it's the feeling on the ground in the Republic as well. And um, this agreement is in place since dormant since 2014. All parties from all sides have signed up to it, from all sides of the border as well. Uh, and so, most importantly, have the families of the victims. And that's really what this is about. It's about putting them front and centre. That's what the agreement was about. I think that, honestly, I feel there was shock when um, this, leak, this leak came to the attention of the Irish government. And the Taunashta was very strong on this today in the Dáil. I think even the Relatives for Justice retweeted what he said in the Dáil and said that the government had been strong and clear on their perspective on it. And really, we believe there is an agreement in place and any departure from that, especially without international diplomacy, especially without any negotiations, would just be unbelievable. Can the Irish government have any real trust in Boris Johnson? given how he has operated at times. Well, I suppose the, the, the two of you have made the very good point that right now um, the UK is in electioneering mode and I suppose tensions are high and pressures are high and maybe things are being taken out of context or, or leaks. So you wouldn't know what's happening, but... I mean, it is. It, it makes for a rocky relationship. And that's not good. These are our nearest neighbours. They're a very important economic trading partner with us as well. Uh, and, and that's not great. It is something we need to try our best to, to resolve. But I think we need to make sure that in this particular issue, the victims are at the heart of that resolution. Um, let's move back to politics a little closer uh, to home. We were speaking in part one of the programme there about this uh, housing issue and the role of investment funds. I mean, housing has been contentious in this country for years now, Craig. Has it really exposed the fault lines between Fine Foyle and Fine Gael in particular? Yeah, I think what happened um, this week was kind of twofold. I mean, first of all, you had that story in the Sunday Business Post about, about what happened in Maynooth. But secondly, the public had started to react to the easing of restrictions. So all of a sudden, the focus is now turning back off COVID and onto the issues that were there before. And housing was obviously top of the agenda in, in the last election. And it's clear that it hasn't gone away. And crucially, what's happened here as well during COVID because construction had to come to an absolute halt, the situation has actually gotten so much worse. I mean, we, we had a story during the week. Um, we need to build 33,000 homes a year to meet demand, OK? Um, we're not going to get there until 2025. So there's no end in sight. And now if you put into the mix um, the fact that cuckoo phones aren't going to be dealt with, the public aren't just aren't going to tolerate that. A any lack of uh, equity here is just going to hammer the government. And I think, you know, any government TD should be should be worried. Um, let's talk about what happened at the mm. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael parliamentary uh, party meetings last night because from what I could see on Twitter where most of us get to read about um, these parliamentary party readings it was a case of either side blaming each other. Yeah, it was, it was quite incendiary. I mean, John Lahart, uh, Fianna Fáil TD, uh, said its party were, were drowning in the shadow of, of Fianna Gael housing policy. Darrell Bryan, the now housing minister, kept referring to it as legacy issues. I think at the Fianna Gael parliamentary party, I was told that there's 25 members all spoke on the issue and, and referenced funds. That shows how serious it is. And the way it was put to me was that the people who spoke at it 
aren't you're the usual suspects. They're people who usually sit back and stay in the shadows, really felt that they had to come out and say, look, we need to address this. So it gives you a, a sense of how significant the issue is. I mean, it is a significant issue, Emer. I presume you're going to deny that there was 25 people at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party standing up complaining about the Affordable Housing Bill and the role of Fianna Fáil. Listen, uh, parliamentary parties are, are, are closed door meetings that unfortunately we all seem to read about nowadays on Twitter. Um, there was a huge discussion uh, uh, last night about housing, about affordable housing uh, and about investment funds. Uh, it was an animated discussion and, and ultimately animated it goes to Animated is a great word, isn't it? It was though. I mean, this is something that, that all of our politicians in right across the board in all parties to be fair that all of our politicians care deeply about because it's something that that's a huge issue that we need to resolve and but how, that's, are you that's the frustrations being aired like some of your um colleagues or are you one of the people who is concerned about the affordable housing bill and some of the coverage and some of the opposition commentary on Darrell Bryant's bill and the contents of it. The affordable housing bill to me is a huge part of the solution. Um, like I, I'm on the housing committee, I've worked on it through pre-legislative scrutiny, I've been involved in the bill, met with Minister O'Brien about it again today. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I think this bill is really going to be a game changer. There's four different elements in the bill from delivering public, public housing on public land, the first ever cost rental bill, expanding our part five requirements and delivering affordable housing scheme for people who want to privately purchase as well. Why does the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting want the Fine Foyle Minister for Housing to come in and address it about this bill? That's quite unusual. It possibly is, but yeah, I, I understand he's also given that offer to the Green Party as well. And it's so as that to make sure that all of the TDs who aren't on the Housing Committee understand the bill in so as much detail. You're trying to get them on site? No, the recognition that some people aren't comfortable with this. No, no, I, I, it's about making sure everybody's equipped with the information, that everybody fully understands the plan. And on the Housing Committee myself, I do. I've been involved in the committee. I've been reading the legislation backwards. But not everybody has that. That's what committees are about. Not every member of parliament does that on each bill. That's why it's so important, because this is such a crucial issue to families up and down this country. It's so important that we get this right, the, that we all understand it, and that we all shape that uh, legislation. Craig, the truth of the matter is, this this should have been a very good week for government, shouldn't it? Because we have real reopening of societies, you know, starting next week. We have talks about people being able to go on holidays, you know, go for a pint indoors. I mean, this is the bounce that the government were looking for, well, they had hoped for. Is that now gone because of this housing issue? Well, I think the problem with this housing issue is that there's no quick fix to it. So this isn't simply going to be gone next week. This is going to rumble on now. You have the three different government, government parties all favouring different solutions on it as well. So I think the Fine Gael approach is to maybe limit it to just to let the investors build. Then the Green Party want to make it a planning issue and Fianna Fáil want to look at it at a tax source. So we don't even have agreement there. Um, there's no quick fix here. So this is going to rumble on for another week or two at least. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. But coming up, how to ease your anxiety as lockdown lifts. to you, Grace. Why did you choose to be an ambassador for Darkness into Light? Good evening, Kira. Thanks for having me here. Um, it's a cause that I'm delighted to get behind. Uh, Darkness into Light is a brilliant fundraising event held every year just to raise awareness for mental health issues for those who are struggling and for suicide prevention. And Pieta's do a brilliant job of this and provide life-saving services to people all year round 
And I think this year, more than any, is when these services are really needed. So I'm really happy to get involved and to encourage people to sign up and support the cause. And we all will have seen the photographs and the fabulous footage of people, you know, gathering in the dark and walking into the light. And obviously that's going to be, you know, near on impossible this year, uh, certainly to do in the vast mass gatherings that we saw in the past. So what are they asking people to do? Yeah, so this year we're looking for people still to come together by staying apart. So maintaining social distancing and following all the COVID guidelines. But what we're asking people to do this year is to um, get under the sunrise together. So it's one shared sunrise, whether that's a walk, a hike, a cycle, or just being up to see that sunrise. And I think it's very symbolic and appropriate for this year in that even though people might feel alone, it's knowing that there's hundreds of thousands of people out there looking at that same sunrise. And I think that's really hopeful. And I think that's a really nice message to be sending this year and to be sending people who may be struggling just so they know that there's support there. And as you say, Grace, perhaps never more important this year because of the difficulties that everybody has faced over the last 12 to 14 months. You yourself were working on the front line until the end of January. How have you found it? Yeah, I think for me, like everybody else, it has been a bit of a roller coaster year. Um, there's been a lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of kind of worry over what was coming down the line and what was happening. And, you know, thankfully, we are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel now. Vaccinations are being rolled out, which is fantastic. Um, numbers are going down and things are starting to come a little bit more back to normal. And I think that's really hopeful. And for you yourself, did you find it difficult? I mean, you were, you were training, obviously. You were working full time. You were at the cold face of COVID. Was it tough? Definitely. There were ups and downs. Um, the work day was tough the worry about getting COVID, bringing it into my team environment or, or bringing it from a team environment into the hospital was always a worry. Um, and I think the best way of getting through that was talking to people, was just, you know, restricting my movements as much as possible like everybody else. And, you know, thankfully everyone was playing their part and that made that, that little bit easier. But it was definitely an uncertain time, but I was very fortunate to have the team, the girls to be training with. Um, and I, I really appreciated that so much more, just given the circumstances. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, but Grace Flanagan, thank you for speaking to us this evening. Thank you. And I'm joined here in studio by GP Dr Harry Barry because things are changing with society reopening and some people are having a difficult, complicated, emotional reaction to that that I think maybe people might feel a bit guilty about, Doctor? Yeah, I think a lot of people assume that, you know, once once we're vaccinated and we're coming out of this, everything's going to be fine. But I think we've been institutionalised for the last, uh, you know, year to 18 months. We've been literally told what to do. We've been living in silos. That's the way we've been living in silos, just all separated from each other. All the normal things like hugging each other, seeing each other, doing all the ordinary things of life, they, they've all been taken away from us. So I, I think uh, one little bit of warning I would give to everybody, you're going to have to be very kind to yourselves because this isn't going to be an easy just, we, we, we come out of this and we're going to be fine. There's a huge amount of... I think, a pent-up kind of anxiety and low mood and worry about what's going to happen. And this, for example, if you take all the different age groups, I think the, our young people have been really blocked off, you know, and forced to do the one thing which young people really hate to do, which is spend time in their heads. 
they, they, it's far better for them to be out with each other and doing things, you know, doing the things that normal young people do. And a lot of mental health difficulties are building up there and I think they will start to spill out. I think there's going to be issues about uh, people uh, coming back to work. Do you know what I mean? Because lots of people are already talking about this. How in God's name are they socially going to go back in? They're used to kind of hanging around at home in front of a screen uh, wearing God knows what half the time. And, you know, now they have to kind of make the effort to go back in. And what will people think of me? Do you know what I mean? There's going to be a lot of that. And it's going to take us a little while to normalise with each other. And then I'm looking at older age groups and a little bit concerned for them because they have really been locked away in silos as well. And, you know, some of them are struggling you know, to be, there's going to be that fear, that built-in fear. Mm. Now, my message of great hope today is, you know, whatever we say about HSE and all the rest of it, I, I think they need, a, a, they should be given a clap in the back for the superb way they're running out this vaccination thing. And we all will be vaccinated. Our young people, I think, will, as a message of hope, I see with, I see the vaccines coming through that are not, our 12 to 18s will all be done, I think, by the autumn. And I'm really hopeful that eventually there'll be a booster for us all. So I think we're coming out of this, but I'm just warning everybody, uh, it's, it's not going to be that easy. There's also a lot of suppressed grief there. A lot, a lot of suppressed grief. A lot of people are inside are still crying inside and painful inside. And they've had no way of expressing it, you know, no way of hugging each other, no way of... And, you know, so the assumption then, Doctor, that, you know, once a lot of these restrictions lift, that life will go back to normal and yes. all of those anxieties and that pressure and that low mood that you are perhaps feeling at the moment will disappear isn't necessarily the case. It's Don't not, assume no. you're going to feel exactly. normal again exactly. immediately. A great line is, it is the situation that's abnormal, not us, not you. So a lot of people will think when they come out of this, why aren't I feeling much better? Why aren't I on top of the world? Do you know? And the answer is because you've come out of almost like a wartime situation and it's going to take a little while of readjusting back to the norms. Like, trust me, you you will actually, when somebody comes close to you and wants to give you a hug, you will instinctively repel. Why? Because you've been taught to do that for the last 12 to 15 months. And we're carrying fear. We're carrying fear in that, you know, and all of those things are going to, uh, even, even hugging our children, our grandchildren, you know, all those things that we normally do. Uh, even going inside eventually, there will be a certain fear amongst us all. And there's also this... Um, suppressed kind of emotions that will take a little bit of time to come out and they will eventually bit by bit by bit we will gradually come back to normal is but there anything we to can do time. to help ourselves adjust i think that well the first thing is to be very kind to yourself to, to accept that it is n normal to to feel like that coming out of this not to be expecting too much too quickly in other words, um, try to kind of be kind for one another. Be, you know, be, you know, I think we're inclined to rush in all the time and kind of be overcritical all the time of both ourselves and of other people. Just this is the time when we all need to gradually come together. We will need a period of remembrance. We will need definitely a day in the autumn, maybe when all of this is over. Uh, sort of a day of recognition. A day of recognition where we stop. and where people can go out and tell their stories, where a lot of people may come together with their grief and their pain and be able to, to clear it. And I think we have to accept that our young people are going to need a lot of support and help over the next six to 12 months because a lot of uh, they've been spending too much time in their heads and that's going to lead to a lot of anxiety, a lot of low mood. 
And what I, one fear I would have is that we, don't, we all don't have a crazy alcohol binge. Do you know what I mean? That we so don't we, party your way that out we of go this. party away because that won't help. Do you know what I mean? That will that will worsen the situation. So but it's I know you're very conscious, party, you know. Um, doctor, that you know <laughs> we don't make people fearful about the future yes. either. Yes. That there is a lot of positivity. There Absolutely. is a lot of hope out there. I, I think this is a time of great hope, and I'm saying that if we approach it kind of slowly but surely and calmly, and help each other and be kind to each other and, and give ourselves that space and time. Bit by bit, by the end of this year, we will be really towards the back of this. And you know something in my lifetime, I hope I never see it again. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I do think neither, that we, we have to be there for each other and help each other. All That's right, well, on that very uh, positive note, we will yeah. leave it. That's it from us. We'll be back here on Monday night at 10pm. I'm taking a little time off for, I would imagine, pretty obvious reasons. I'm going on my maternity leave over the next few months, but I will be back. Good night, take care and do stay safe. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.